Welcome to this message from the teaching ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Orlando, Florida, under the leadership of Senior Pastor Mike Osborne. Good morning, everyone. Um, the scripture reading for today is Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. If you need a Bible, there's some located under your chair. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. The word of the Lord. Good morning. What a joy to be able to be here and uh, to be able to share uh, the scriptures with you this morning. And uh, as we begin, let me pray again. Uh, Father, we come as people who are in need. Lord, we have so many needs. One of our needs right now is to understand, better understand the scriptures that you've given to us. I pray that you would use your word in our hearts today, that we would see Jesus, that we would be encouraged we would be challenged. Lord, we come as, as your people wanting to hear from you. So we commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. A number of years ago, soon after Alice and I had come back uh, from Kenya to the U.S., our children and some of the grandchildren came, the only grandchildren that we had at that time, they came to visit us. Uh, so they brought their the kids and uh, we got to go to, uh, we decided, well, let's, one evening, it was around Christmas time, and they were young grandchildren at that point, and so I thought, well, let's uh, uh, let's go down to Disney World. They had never been there before, and it was Christmas, so I think we went and we ate in a hotel in Fort Wilderness or something and, and had a good time, and then we thought, well, let's take the, the boat ride over to uh, the Magic Kingdom. So we took the boat. That was really fun for the kids. We got on the monorail at Magic Kingdom, and we rode around the monorail and looked at all the hotels. And they, and we arrived back at Magic Kingdom just as the fireworks were going off. And so we got out of the monorail, and we stood there kind of at the entrance, and all the fireworks went off, and the kids were so excited. We got on the boat, went back, and drove home, and on the way home, my son Scott said, if they only knew what was behind those gates. We never actually went in. We just And they thought they'd been to Disneyland, Disney World. They didn't know what was behind those gates. 
Well, this morning we're going to talk about heaven. And in the brief time that we have, we're not going to answer, I'm not going to answer all of your questions about heaven. I haven't even answered all my questions about heaven, and I've been studying this thing for a couple weeks preparing. The Bible doesn't tell us all the things that we would like to know about heaven. But it does tell us what we need to know about heaven. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning And uh, hopefully we're going to get a a few glimpses of what's behind the gates before we actually get there. So let's jump in and let's look at some truths about heaven. Now, first of all, heaven is an actual place. In John 14, uh, verses 2 and 3, Jesus said before his death, he said, I am going to prepare a place for you. And then he said, I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to be with me. To be there. So heaven is an actual place. Uh, most of you have either read or seen uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis's book. And if you remember that, that the children uh, are in this house and they go into this wardrobe, and in the back of the wardrobe they, they go out and they enter into Narnia. And Narnia is this whole other world. It, it's got some things that are similar to this world, but it is very dissimilar in many ways to this world. And then they come back. If you remember, they come back and it's like time has not even gone anywhere. The, the world of Narnia was a different world. It was, it was outside of our kind of our space-time world that we live in today. Well, heaven, in a sense, is, is somewhat like that. It's a, it's a real place but it is outside of our time and space world in which we live. Uh, Even if we were to get on some spaceship and go to the farthest galaxies, we could never get to heaven. It's uh, it's not in this this universe or multiple universes uh, out there that God created in the beginning. But it's a real place. Secondly, Heaven is inhabited. It's inhabited. Now, the Apostle John in the book of Revelation has some amazing descriptions of heaven and visions. Uh, In chapter 4, he describes God as sitting on a throne and surrounded by these winged creatures um, that resemble animals, but they have eyes all over them. They're just covered with eyes. Um, In chapter 5, he sees thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000 of angels in heaven. Uh, In chapter 5 and chapter 9 of Revelation, he sees a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. So heaven is a place, but it's filled with all kinds of people and things and angels. It's amazing. But heaven that John sees in these chapters, and heaven as it is right now, is not complete. There's something that is missing about heaven. Although people are in heaven as well as angels, but their bodies are not in heaven. And that's what's incomplete about the present heaven. 
is not a perfect place right now because although believers who have died are there, their bodies are not. This is what Paul refers to in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. He writes, Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So notice Paul talks about being at home with the Lord, but if he's at home with the Lord, he says he's away from the body. But when believers die today, their souls, their spirits, uh, go immediately to be with the Lord, but their bodies do not. Their bodies are here on earth. And that's what's missing about uh, in, in the present heaven, their, their bodies are not there. Uh, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. He has a new body. His body is in heaven. But the bodies of believers are, are on earth, but their souls are with him. Their souls are with the Lord. And God's plan was never that our souls and our bodies would spend eternity separated from one another. Uh, The resurrection of our bodies is what is incomplete about the present heaven. And that leads to the next point, is that it's going to get even better. Uh, The current heaven is not the final heaven. Uh, The current heaven is somewhere out there. I I don't know where that is, but it's not here. It's in a whole nother, it's in another dimension that John writes about. But he goes on to picture in chapter 21 of Revelation that we read today. He says this, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and first earth had passed away. And then John describes in the rest of this chapter, 21 and 22, this amazing vision uh, that is kind of hard to understand. But he sees this, this city the New Jerusalem coming down. And this city is, is a built of gold and precious stones and jewels. Uh, it's got a, uh, a river flowing down in the midst of this uh, from the throne of God there. It's got the, the tree of life that is bearing fruit. Uh, every, every month it bears fruit. Uh, lots of things about this new Jerusalem that are, are couched in, in figurative and symbolic language that is hard to, hard to understand, hard for us to understand. Um, but nevertheless, he sees us coming down to a new heaven and a new earth. Second Peter 3, uh, Peter writes this. He says, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. The heavens disappear with a roar and the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Heaven will no longer be out there somewhere, but down here on a new earth. Uh, Paul sheds a light on this in Romans chapter 8. Beginning in verse 19, he he writes, The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, 
not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So our present heaven, the present, or not the present heaven, the present earth, and our present bodies are subject to frustration. He says they're in bondage to decay and groaning. Uh, We see this as we look around the world and we see earthquakes and famines and floods and tornadoes and hurricanes that that really ravage not just this country, but ravage the globe. Uh, We see this as as bodies get old and worn out and are ravaged by sickness and disease and cancer. We see this in, in relationships that disappoint or that are broken. Uh, We see this in wars, child abuse, shootings in theaters. Uh, All we have to do is look around the world and we realize that our world and our bodies are groaning and subject to frustration. This is a broken world filled with broken people. That's what God is going to fix. He's going to fix this by giving us new bodies in a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness, where there will no longer be any sin or sickness or death or broken relationships. Jesus and all of those who have come to know Christ as Savior and Lord are going to dwell with him in new glorified bodies on a new earth for eternity. It doesn't get any better than that. So what? what? What difference does knowing this about heaven, even though lots of things we don't know about heaven, what difference should this make in our lives? Let me suggest several things. The first three apply to those of you that know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. First of all, this ought to encourage us. That's how Paul ends his section about the return of Christ in First Thessalonians 4 about the resurrection, he writes at the end of that chapter in verse 18, he says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. Death is not the end. One day we're going to be with our loved ones who know Christ, who have already gone before us. And you and I can look forward to the day when Jesus comes back or when our bodies are raised. And that's going to come. One day we will be behind the gates, not on this side of the gates. The second thing is that reality, the reality of heaven ought to motivate us. It ought to motivate us to live a holy life. You know, all the things we read about heaven and the future and prophecy and all that, the purpose isn't just to... to uh, uh, give us information so that we can figure out you know, what does 666 mean and, and are we really, is Jesus going to come back next year? The purpose, one of the primary purposes is that we would live a holy life. This is what Peter writes. He says this about our present earth. He says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, 
What kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Living for self and things, uh, all of that sort of pales into insignificance when we realize that everything on this earth right now is going to be destroyed by fire. It's going to be burned up. And the only things that are going to last are those treasures that I've stored up in heaven. Jesus tells us about that in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, lay up for yourselves things, not on things on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves will not break in and steal. You know, those are the things that are going to last for eternity, not the new computer or my iPhone or whatever it is, gadget I've got. All of that's going to be burned up. When I realize that, it, it gives me a different perspective on the value of things. Jesus says, in, or, or Peter says, in light of the fact that all of this is going to be destroyed by fire, what kind of people ought I to be? I ought to live a holy and a godly life. And knowing about heaven ought to motivate me to do that. Secondly, it ought to motivate me to share Christ with others. A people without Christ are lost. They will not be in heaven. Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 1, about the return of Christ. And this is what he says. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. God has, give, God has given us the responsibility of sharing the gospel, the good news, with those who do not know Christ, so that they can obey the gospel and escape everlasting destruction. So it ought to motivate us to share Christ with those who don't know him. And thirdly, it ought to sober us. There's another truth of heaven that we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't ignore. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.10 that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done in the done while in the body, whether good or bad. He writes this to Christians. He writes this to you and me. You and I will appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of our lives. Now, the question that usually comes here is, well, I thought that there was no condemnation for those that are in Christ. I thought that Jesus already paid for all of my sins. Why do I have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ? And uh, that's a real good question. And uh, Mike's going to answer that question on some future sermon. No, but let me, because uh, that's a whole other sermon. But let me give you a quick answer that Mike will expound on later. We all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Those of us that are believers we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, not to determine whether we get into heaven or not, but at it's that point that God evaluates and judges our works so that we will receive rewards for what we have done in the body. And it's not just that it's not just the works that we do 
But the works that receive a reward are those that are done in the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. Uh, I could stand up here and preach, but if I'm doing this in the energy of my flesh for the glory of Gary Fredericks, that receives no reward. Uh, Rewards that are done for the glory of God and the power of the Spirit, those are the things that God rewards for eternity. We need to thank God for the forgiveness that we have. And so we don't fear judgment and, and wrath, the wrath of God at the judgment seat of Christ. Jesus has paid for our sins. There is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. But I am responsible and I have to, I will have to give an account of how I've lived the talents, uh, the opportunities that God gives me to serve Him, I am accountable for that. Am I responsible for that? Well, the last point I want to address is to those of you that are here that may not yet have accepted Jesus Christ. And the truth about heaven ought to scare you. Uh, now, you may think, well, that, that's a little strong. Uh, maybe that's not very loving uh, to want to scare people into heaven. But suppose you were dying and the doctor had the cure that could cure you. But he thought, well, you know, I don't want to offend this person. I don't want to make them kind of feel bad. So I'm not going to tell them or give them the cure. Would that be the loving thing for the doctor to do? It wouldn't be loving. It wouldn't even be ethical. The loving, ethical thing to do is to say, you're dying, and unless you take this cure, you're going to die. Several weeks ago, Mike preached about hell. Hell is real. Hell is terrible. Hell is eternal. But heaven is real. Heaven is wonderful. The new heaven and the new earth is going to be even better. But you, if you don't know Christ, you are responsible. Will you accept Jesus as the payment for your sin? Accept his death in your place. His life that was perfect for your life, which is imperfect. You are responsible. If you reject Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, then... An eternity separated from God, eternal destruction, as Paul says. And John writes about it as an eternal lake of fire is your destiny. And so I want to urge you to give your life to Jesus Christ, who loves you and wants to rescue you out of the dominion of darkness and bring you into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. Well, back to my grandchildren. Uh, Several years later, they came back as a family, and we went to the Magic Kingdom, and we went behind the gates. They were amazed. If you, The first time you ever go in there, and especially if you take children, it's just amazing. And they they were going from one thing to the next, and behind every, every turn there was something new to amaze them. And actually, they were there. They ended up going there for days. And the thing about the whole Disney World experience is, I don't, I'm not a big Disney World fan, so I've like been there once or twice, but 
you know, they could, you could, you could spend days there and there's still probably something new to discover. You know, they were amazed at what was behind those gates. What is awaiting us behind the gates is something far more than we can ever imagine. It's going to be filled with wonders of, of things that there's going to be a new earth. So I think there's going to be a lot of similarities to this present earth, but it's going to be far more amazing and spectacular. And we will have eternity to enjoy it and discover it. And we're going to do it with those of our loved ones who have put their trust in Christ. And the most important thing is we're going to do it with Jesus because we're going to spend eternity with him. So heaven is a wonderful place. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you that you have given us the scriptures. And although there are many things in the Bible about the future that we don't understand and we read it and it's filled with lots of visions and images that are hard to understand, you have given us everything we need to know that heaven is a real place, that you do have a plan, that one day Jesus is going to return. There is going to be a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness, and we will dwell there with new, resurrected, glorified bodies with all others that have put their trust in the Savior from all eternity. Uh, Lord, we thank you for giving us just a glimpse of what is behind those gates. And we look forward to the day, Lord, when we will actually experience it. So to God be the glory great things he still is going to do. Amen. We at University Presbyterian Church thank you for listening to this message. Our mission is to help people know God, grow together, and serve others. To learn more about the church or how to have a vital relationship with God, visit our website at www.upc-orlando.com or call our offices at 407-384-3300.